This podcast was brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on Sirius XM. This is the Work and Life podcast, which explores how to create harmony among the different parts of life, work, home, community, and the private self, your mind, body, and spirit. Here's your host, founding director of Wharton's Work-Life Integration Project and author of the bestseller, Total Leadership, Professor Stu Friedman. Deborah Schaefer is an independent educational consultant and coach with a particular expertise. She's founder and CEO of Education Navigation, which she started after more than 20 years of management experience in human resources, work life, and marketing communications, and 15 years of special education consulting, coaching, and advocacy experience. She is an advocate for students kindergarten through college who have been diagnosed with ADHD, autism spectrum disorders, and other mental health issues and learning differences. She works with parents as well as with business organizations with their human resources departments and directly with executives to help educate them, not only about regulations, but also about how to develop realistic strategies and plans for managing the integration of work and the rest of life when you have a child with special needs, as I do. I'm a parent of a special needs child, so this is very personal for me. In this episode, Deborah and I discuss how As an HR executive trying to meet her own child's special needs, she learned firsthand the importance of flexibility at work and how both parents and organizations need education and support. We talk about the issue of stigma and how people are often uncomfortable talking about either their own mental health struggles or their child's developmental differences and mental health challenges, and how this affects their lives at work. Deborah shares potential solutions for employees and employers, and explains what it means to provide a safe environment at work in which employees can share some of the real stumbling blocks to meeting their job demands while caring for the special needs of their children. I hope you like the Work and Life podcast, and if you do, I would greatly appreciate it if you would rate, review it on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts so others are more likely to find it too. So now, without further ado, get set to listen to and learn from Deborah Schaefer and the experience and practical wisdom she has to share about managing mental health issues at work. Deborah, welcome to Work and Life, and thanks so much for joining me today. Thank you, Stu. I'm delighted to be here. Well, it's it's great to have you here. Um, let's let's start with how you got into this. What what led you to this uh, to this topic and to this focus for your work? To my career changing, um, it actually began with my son. He developed some educational challenges, and I was working as an HR director at the time and decided that I needed flexible work options. And that was somewhat of an option, but not the kind of option that I wanted. So I left my corporate career. What was wrong with the the solution that that you had available to you? It wasn't flexible enough. 
I I needed more flexibility and I needed to be able to focus more on my son's needs, which is a challenge that a lot of parents face. They have to make a choice, work or family. And that's a choice that no parent should have to make. They should be able to continue with their professional career Mm -hmm. and also care for their child with autism, care for their child with ADD, care for whatever the issues might be. Whatever it is. So so what did you do to help uh, parents be liberated from that choice? Well, I don't think I've liberated them yet, Stu. Still working on that one. Um, But I began actually reading federal and state law, special education law, to really familiarize myself with what parents don't really know and began coaching parents in a private practice and then developed education navigation because it was clear from an HR background that there was a gap in terms of what services and supports are being provided to employees who have children with these issues. And it's often 12 plus years because some children are diagnosed when they're two and then they have to go through kindergarten, through possibly college transition. It doesn't end. And if you're working, you need to take care of those issues. And we talk a lot about kind of the seesaw between chronic and crisis issues. What does that mean? Chronic issue can be your child has to go for speech therapy three times a week, and that's at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. It's just what you have to do. A crisis issue is you get a call from school. Hello, Mrs. Smith. You need to come to school because, and you're walking into a meeting in a half hour. What are you going to do? Well, I don't know many parents are going to say to the principal or the teacher, sorry, I can't come. They leave. They have to leave Mm -hmm. because they're a parent. So it's those kinds of... There's no one else there. Exactly. It's those kinds of... Unless there is someone else there, of course. Correct. Many times it's two working parents, but Mm -hmm. typically, not always, typically they're calling mom first. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. mom runs because mom has to run. That's just the nature of... That's the nature of the challenge. And our goal is to help integrate what we can to help organizations understand that these issues don't go away. You know, many times I'll say the parents that are working today are raising your next generation of employees. And I would think you would want your employees to have the skills and the capabilities so that they can continue to make you profitable as a business. Is is that persuasive, really? Or do people, are they able to think that far ahead in terms of producing the next generation of talent? I I find that's a hard one to get people's minds around. It is. But you know what? Those obstacles are obstacles that I love. So being able to continue to hammer at that particular point is really, really important. You know, many times organizations will think, well, you're just a working parent and you've got a kid and, you know, you just keep getting all these calls. When's it going to stop? Well, it may not stop. And that's the getting hard all choice. these calls about your child who needs your attention. Correct, mm-hmm. exactly. It's mm-hmm. a choice. It's a difficult, if not impossible, choice that parents, working parents, should not have to make. They shouldn't have to choose between being a good parent and a good employee. They should be able to do both. So, the you were, you were talking about the distinction between the 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 chronic and the crisis issues. Um, wh- why is that an important distinction, and and how do you address it? Because a chronic issue is going to be ongoing. And if you're an employee, you know, part of this is what we call normalizing these issues. If you think back 15 or 20 years ago, you never really spoke about lactation rooms. That just was unheard of. You just didn't talk about that in the workplace. Today, it's become somewhat normalized because Mm. there's been a lot of kind of from the bottom up pressure, so to speak, to make make it an issue that people are aware of. Well, there's no difference here. When you, think about, when you think about a chronic issue, you need to be able to speak to your employer with some level of comfort so that they understand what's going on. 
because there's statistics and many of them show how many working parents are leaving the workforce, how many are cutting back on their hours, how many are choosing not to take a certain assignment. And that's a really difficult choice for working parents to have to make because on the other side of that equation is their child. And parents are responsible for raising our next generation. And if we talk about these disabilities, and I I often use the term differences instead, Mm-hmm. particularly for parents of children with an autism spectrum disorder, the needs are significant. There are many, many, many parents who are spending thousands of dollars every month out of pocket for therapies that they are not getting in school or that their insurance won't reimburse. So making a decision, let's say, to have one parent stay home, which mm-hmm. is happening quite a bit to take care of their child, mm-hmm. they've just cut their family income significantly. Of course, But those expenses still need to be paid. There's so many stories that I could tell you of parents that I've met over the last 15 years. One in particular, it was a a husband and wife, and I met the the woman. And in the back of her car, she had these plastic bins that you would get, let's say, at Ikea with all kinds of clothes in it. So I assumed that she was just changing clothes between season and she just didn't get them in the closet yet. They had converted. They moved out of their home. They sold their home. They needed the money. They moved into a two-bedroom apartment. They converted the second bedroom of their apartment. They had two children, both on the autism spectrum. They converted the second bedroom into an occupational therapy room. The parents were sleeping in the living room, and the children were sleeping in the bedroom. And the clothes were the clothes that they could no longer store because they moved from a home to an apartment. So the clothes were in the car. Correct. These kinds of decisions are made all the time. Parents are selling and remortgaging their home more than once. They're borrowing from family. They're cleaning out their 401ks. That's what's really happening. So uh, I'm, I'm interested in your thoughts about what role our uh, policy makers and government officials uh, play in, in providing solutions for people who are suffering with these burdens. They, what do you think? They play a huge role, and so do businesses. That's the, that's the key issue. Business has the responsibility and also the opportunity to help these working parents. Many organizations, for example, if you look at the Working Mother Top 100 list or the Fortune mm-hmm, you know, top mm-hmm. companies, they may provide $5,000 for a certain thing. Maybe it's adoption assistance. Maybe they're trying to do it for autism assistance. But there's more that's needed to be done. And there are many ways that they can do it in a cost-effective way. But it begins by increasing awareness and understanding that these issues are not going away. The recent statistics on autism spectrum alone is now one in 68 children. That's a lot of kids. And that's just autism. That's just autism. There are other hidden hidden uh, differences, or what do you refer to them as? Hidden disabilities? Hidden, hidden differences, yes. Hidden differences. Correct. So, for such a- as? ADHD, for example. 11% recent statistics of school-aged children have ADHD. 19% of high school boys. Think about that. of high school boys have ADHD. Diagnosed. Correct. And these boys are moving either into college, they're they're going into transition, college, employment, or life. And if they're not receiving the services and supports they need, and if their parents haven't been able to access that, what happens? So what does Education Navigation do to help? We do a number of things. We provide individual consultations to employees. We do it in a cyber mode, which means it's telephone or it's email. We do on-site what we call navigator days, where we come on-site to an organization for a half day or a full day, several of our navigators, and employees can come in with their key documents, their child's documents. We go over them with them, and we provide them with on-the-spot 
solutions. This is what you need to be doing because our goal is to short circuit the time they're spending. You know, many times I'll say parents can get onto Google and many of them do. I certainly did at 2 a.m. and do tons of research. You either have an information overload or you don't have enough information. But that doesn't help when you're navigating through special education. Special education is particular and it's very complex. So what we do is we teach parents what they need to do and what they need to know to help navigate through special ed, to cut down on the time they're spending trying to figure it out. So can you give us an example of an instance of uh, someone that you helped recently? Oh, several, many in an organization we're working with now. Um, Parents ranging from having a child that's in preschool that was just diagnosed to parents whose child is in 11th and 12th grade telling us it's too late. It's never too late. Their child was just diagnosed in 11th grade or 12th grade. They're getting ready to transition. What are they supposed to do? There's a lot to do. There's a lot. There are many supports available to parents when their child is still in school prior to graduation. Mm -hmm. And our goal is to get them to understand how to access those supports while their child is in school. And you're... You, so you're paid by the employer, though? Correct. We're either paid by the employer or now we're also offering this as a voluntary benefit. So the employee can come to us directly at a reduced cost and pay for our services. But so, that's, again, through the employer that they get access to you? Correct. So, exactly. So all of your clients come to you through companies that subscribe to your service? Correct. Correct. And they could bring us in, for example, to start by doing a workshop or a webinar. In some way, because this is truly a work-life integration issue, it's very important for us that the organization recognize what these needs are. And the way that they can recognize it is by bringing us in and communicating to their employees, we get it. We get it. We understand what's going on, and we're going to try to help you in the best ways that we can. So what kind of companies are typically uh, interested in, in procuring your services? Do you find that there are certain types of organizations that seem to be most amenable to making this kind of investment? No. Large corporations, small businesses. The, the statistics are that 8 to 14% of every workforce is dealing with these issues. Mm-hmm. So if you're dealing mm-hmm. with an employee population, let's say of 500, I'm not a math whiz, but we can figure out what that number would be. If you're dealing with an organization that has 25,000 employees, we can figure out what that will be as well. There's, there's, Inherent challenges even for the employee in terms of self-disclosure, being, being able and willing to communicate with their work-life director, their human resources director, their employee relations director, their employee benefits director, to go in and say, these are my needs. These are the issues. Well, their boss, most importantly. Correct. Say, and co- Absolutely. And coworkers, right? Correct. But many times they'll go to HR or work-life and say, how do I deal with this? What do I do? How do I make this known? Because there are barriers. There are barriers with other employees who don't understand what's going on. There are mm-hmm. barriers with their boss. Those telephone calls that comes to, they come. And there's nothing you can do about it. They come on a cell phone. They come on the office phone. They come. And when that happens, the working parent needs to choose. Yes. No, I, I know something about this directly from my own experience. Because I, I have three children, and one of them is a child with special needs. And, in fact, I wrote an article in the Harvard Business Review on my blog there uh, in uh, December 2009, called The Hidden Business Cost of Mental Illness. And the first line of that article was, it's hard to focus on your work when your child is hallucinating, mm-hmm. which happened in our family. 
And I wrote about, you know, how painfully distracting in so many ways his breakdown was for our whole family <clears throat> and then did some exploration in that article uh, of, you know, what some of the business costs are in terms of productivity, uh, absenteeism, and uh, just, you know, your psychological interference, as, as it's called, of you know, your non-work life on your work life and how difficult it is to focus when, you know, these most powerful, urgent needs that you are the one to respond to come to you. And I know that I'm not the only one who's experienced this. Uh, many people have. In fact, that article uh, was one of the most responded to of any that I've ever written. Mm -hmm. uh, because, and, and most of the response that I got was, uh, thank you for sharing your story. Because to your point, Deborah, what what needed to happen, and this is now four or so years ago, is is a raising of consciousness, right? It's it's telling the story and, and increasing awareness of how ubiquitous this is, this issue is, and how powerfully you know it it can affect an employee. Um, but it's it, there's a lot of misunderstanding out mm -hmm. there about you know these kinds of illnesses. People understand diabetes, they understand leukemia. I mean, it's these are horrible, tragic, you know, diseases that you know kill uh, and curtail lives. Mental illness is another matter. You're absolutely right, and there's a lot being written, as you know, about trying to have the public understand that the difference between a physical illness, as you're saying, and a mental illness is we're talking simply about different organs. It's just mm -hmm. the brain is an organ, and if there's something wrong with the brain, we need to treat it. So if a child has diabetes and, let's say, has to receive whatever twice a week, that's not a problem. But if your child has schizophrenia or if your child has autism, all of a sudden there's almost a shadow that comes over that. And that's part of the challenge for employees to be able to speak about the issues. You mentioned productivity. If you think about almost the employee life cycle from recruitment to productivity to engagement to retention, this touches all of them in addition it touches an employee's family life. It touches their finances. It touches their health. It touches stress. There's virtually no area that remains untouched when your child is diagnosed with fill in the blank. And mm -hmm. it doesn't matter whether the child is 3, 13, or 23. So... <clears throat> Say more, if you would, Deborah, about what you have found to be effective in helping uh, people, parents, overcome the sense of uh, you know, the, the feeling that they are stigmatized because they have a child who has these special needs and, and how they speak about it with their colleagues and, and others in their work uh, environment. One of the ways is employee resource groups, and most large corporations now have ERGs for special needs parents. Mm -hmm. um, but the reality is a large percentage of those employees don't join those groups. However, I'll Wh share. Why is that? There's a reluctance. They don't want to disclose. They don't want to be known as one of those parents. I always say if you have the crown, wear it with pride. So hmm. many of them don't join the ERGs, yet I'll share a quick story. Went into a corporation to do a workshop, and the director of HR didn't really think there'd be much interest and said, should we have sign-ups? And I said, no, let's just open it up, let people bring their tuna salad sandwich and see. The room was packed. Four of the employees stayed. The session ended at 2. I stayed with them till 5.30. 
And what was very interesting, almost the most beneficial component of that beyond the training, was that I saw employees looking down the aisle saying to each other, I didn't know you had a child of course. with autism. Mm-hmm. I didn't know you had a child with a mental health issue. So inside the organization. It's not just me. Correct. They began informal supports, and that's really what it's all about. Parents are the best sources of information. So in an organization, if you have parents talking to each other and being able to support each other, all of a sudden, and I use the term normalize, it normalizes the issues. It makes it okay to talk about it, and Mm -hmm. it has to be okay to talk about it. It must. It must. And so what you're doing in part in terms of what you just described is to create an environment in which that conversation can happen. Correct. It has to be safe. And the way that many times it's safe is by drilling information. So training is a very effective way. It increases awareness. It's information push out as well as, of course, Q&A coming in. About like, for example, the epidemiology, how, how often these, these issues Correct. unfold. So like it's, it's, it's out there and you're not the only one. Is, that's a really important message to convey with statistics. You got it. And with, with stories. And the reality is one of the sessions that we do the most frequently, that I do the most frequently, is helping parents understand autism spectrum disorders and special education. Because that's truly what they're focusing in on. Yes, they're focusing in on the therapies they're getting in school, perhaps, or the therapies that they're getting outside privately. But it's really helping parents understand how to help their child successfully navigate through school. Because school prepares them for life. And I say all the time, if we don't get it right in school, we're not going to get it right in life. So we mm-hmm. have to get it right in school. Mm-hmm. And So then the, the school, of course, is the crucial partner in this in terms of institutions beyond the employment environment. Um, Do you provide, I guess you do, uh, advice on how to deal with the schools? No, you're- Oh, yes, of course. To deal with the schools. I thought you meant going into the schools. Oh, absolutely. That's what our key focus is, helping parents understand the educational milieu for special education. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Everything from the policies, the procedures, the systems, what to ask for, how to ask for it, how to negotiate. What should be on an IEP, which is the individualized education plan that most students in special education have? I'm very familiar with that. The difference between a 504 and an IEP. Why a certain child should perhaps be on a 504, which is accommodations only, Mm -hmm. but why another child really should be on an IEP, which is the delivery of special education services and supports. That's what we do. We specialize in that area. That's all we focus in on. And of course, different school districts provide you know very, very different kinds of accommodations and support. You bet. Right. And so people will move to neighborhoods in order to provide, in order to get access to the the, the right school. Get right? that question several times a week. And the reality is, even in the same school district, not to make things more complex for any of our listeners, even in the same school district, with the same IEP team, but a different child and different parents. Very different results. Mm -hmm. So when parents say, I'm moving from Wisconsin, should I move to New York or New Jersey? Or I'm moving from here to there, should I move to this district or that district? There is no simple answer. That's the reality. Special education is complex, and the child with special needs is complex. You're taking two complex arenas and trying to help parents understand them both. So how do you deal with that one? It's it's time-consuming. That's why parents Mm -hmm. are working with us, because we're teaching them what you need to know about your child's diagnosis, Mm -hmm. and then what you need to know to take that information and translate it into school. Because as I said, we got to get it right in school. We have to get it right in school. We have to get it right in school. And sometimes the the public school, you know, the mainstream of the public school is just not going to work, right? Absolutely. 
That's why there's a continuum of placements. Federal special education law requires a continuum of placements. What does that mean exactly? Meaning we start with the least restrictive environment, full-time regular education. Least restrictive that, environment. Correct. That's, that's the law. That is the law. And then we tighten it up as we need to tighten it up. The Based cha- on how- The child's needs. How they demonstrate whether they need more, it's, to, whether they're breaking down or just not succeeding. And that's based on the evaluation data that we get. That's one thing that parents oftentimes don't understand. When you have your child evaluated- you The psych testing, the psychological psycho, testing? Psychoeducational testing, neuropsych evaluations, whatever the evaluation data may be, that data drives the development of the IEP. Parents often see them almost like two planets here and here. No, the evaluation data- drives the development of the IEP. So we also teach parents how to understand all those scores. Hmm. Do they know what a standard score is? Well, they, all the time. Well, you know, we read it. Okay, well, what questions do you have? None. Do, do you understand what those standard scores mean? No. So, so the, that kind of advocacy and education that you provide to parents is not otherwise provided by, say, the school system or by psychologists who work with parents independent of their employers? I mean, I know that there are people out there who provide these kinds of services. There are private advocates that certainly do it. Mm-hmm. Um, school psychologists try, but remember, they're working for the school district, not for the child. There's a bit of a difference, and I know I'll probably get some flack about that. There's a conflict of interest sometimes? Well, the reality is it's always best, we recommend, for a parent to at least have their child evaluated privately for a baseline evaluation. Baseline evaluation data should come privately. That's what we recommend. But yes, psychologists many times go to IEP meetings and help with this sort of advocacy. Um, all types of clinicians can, not all kinds of clinicians do, but clinicians understand the clinical component of what they're dealing with. They're not necessarily experts and specialists in special education. Tell us again, Deborah, uh, aside from you know, helping to prepare and nurture the next generation of, of employees and talent, uh, f- for the more immediate needs uh, that parents have, how does it help an employer to provide the kind of support that you provide to parents to help them to advocate and care for their kids with special needs? Why is that a good thing for a company to invest in? I'll start by saying because we're talking about $227 billion in lost revenue and productivity when they don't. Where'd you get that number from? Oh, I can't remember. It's from (laughs) tons of research I have somewhere. It's a lot of money. There's a lot of productivity loss. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of top performers who are leaving the workforce. So that's why it's smart for employers to recognize that if, for example, they provide flexible work options to their employees who have these issues. And a lot of companies do. But sometimes there's limits. And in these kinds of situations, as I said, because we're dealing with chronic and crisis issues, Mm -hmm. you can't really prepare for when the crisis is going to hit. And when the crisis hits, there needs to be adaptations. So fortunately today, we have so much technology and people are telecommuting all the time that it's a lot easier to be able to balance if the employer is aware of what the issues are. The other question you asked about advocacy It's very important. It's almost, many times it's compared to a death. You you go into a clinician's office, you walk out with a diagnosis, and you're like a deer in the headlights. You're totally blindsided. You're not sure what to do. You're not sure where to go. Well, you're likely to try to deny it. There's denial, that that wonderful river floating down denial. Yes, absolutely. And then there's the as I mentioned earlier, you're either on information overload, you're doing the three o'clock in the morning on Google, getting every piece of information you, ha- you can about the diagnosis, 
or you simply deny it, or you simply say, I'll just deal with the information that I'm given and I won't go any farther. Mm. But when the child's needs begin to change, you know, t- children's needs are like a roller coaster. They ebb and flow. Mm-hmm. Many kids are really strong out of the gate. Many parents will say, oh, my child is great at the beginning of the school year. And then they crash and burn come January or February. Other parents will say, my child first day of school doesn't work. We've got problems from the beginning. Mm-hmm. So it's every child is, an, is a unique individual and every situation is unique. Parents need to understand the most important thing. You've got to stop going from your heart and start going from your head. You have to understand the special education when you go into these meetings. It's a business meeting. So you need to know the basic business skills. Like the meetings, the IEP meetings and meetings Correct. with the school. Correct. About who, who are going to make decisions with you or for you about the course of your child's school life and his future. Or, and I don't mean to sound like the purveyor of the negative side, or work against you. Mm-hmm. And that's why parents need to learn to advocate. We've been in, I, I've been in IEP meetings myself where the parents are asking for an additional 30 minutes of speech therapy. And the school district denies it. Mm -hmm. So the parents take the school district to due process. They spend $20,000 out of pocket to get a service that was $80. These are very personal decisions that parents make. Many parents will say to us, well, should I just pay for it privately or should I push the school for it? Very personal decision, just like medication. That's an issue that's raised for us and to us a lot. Should we put our child on meds? That's not a decision the school can make. That's only a decision you as the parent With your doctors, can make. hopefully. Correct. Right. So, so if you're a, a, a manager and you find out that and, and one of your employees says to you, hey, Deborah, um, I just discovered this, this really tragic news about my child and it's, it's going to change my life in ways that are going to affect us and I want to talk to you about it. And, and she comes to you and, and describes to you this 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 diagnosis, which she's you know stunned by and doesn't know what to do with, and is kind of needing support. What do you, how do you train managers to to deal with that kind of information or, or or to discover it so that they can be supportive? What's the program that you've got to help managers deal with people who are you know who are having to care for people who work for them who have who have mm-hmm. to care with children for children with special needs? If an employee came to me and said, "I just received tragic news." First, I'd have to give them a slap because it's not tragic news. Mm. It's painful. It's confusing. It's overwhelming. But it's something that you can deal with as a parent once you have the education that you need, the Mm -hmm. information you need, the strategies you need, all of that. As an employer, as a manager, the first thing that I would do if I was training or or you're asking me if I was the manager or you're asking me, I'm not sure I want to follow. Sorry, Deborah, I'm asking you as a provider of education navigation services. How do we train the managers? Do you you offer any kind of training for managers? Absolutely. It begins with work-life integration. That's really what this is about. This is about balancing work and life. Although I don't use the word balance, I use the word integrate. Good. It's integrating those two components of an employee's life cycle. It's mm-hmm. their work and then it's their life. What do we need to do about it? So what's so, the what's the first thing that a manager needs to know? First thing a manager needs to know is this is happening in your organization far deeper than you believe it is. So you need to be aware. A so, lot of it is being hidden. You've got employees taking vacation time. You've got employees just absent. Absenteeism is huge in this population mm-hmm. because if you've used up your vacation time and you don't have a vacation pool that you can pull from and you've got issues, you're just go- going to call in sick. Well, if your child is having a crisis on a Wednesday and you come back to work on Thursday, how productive do you think that employee is going to be on Thursday? Not very productive. They're still dealing with the 
impact of what happened on Wednesday and what's going to happen on Friday so, and Monday. So how can you be helpful as a manager? What's what's the right sort of approach that managers need to take to be supportive and to still you know maintain the performance standards that they have to uphold? First, it's flexible work options, as I said. Mm-hmm. We've got to be able to have flexibility in the workplace for this employee population. Second, it's teaching managers what these diagnoses mean. What does it actually mean to have a diagnosis of autism? What does it mean to have a diagnosis of bipolar disorder? What does that actually mean? So you're, you're teaching that in companies? Teaching what that means and what that means for the employee. That's the important piece. We're not doing clinical education about right. we're going to spend three hours talking about bipolar disorder. But if you have a top performing employee, employee in your department who has a child with bipolar disorder, this is what you need to know. This is Do- how it's likely to affect their availability, their psychological presence, you their ability to stay focused. Their stress. There's- you know, organizations now are focusing tremendously on stress and health issues. This is a stress and health issue. Mm-hmm. Just like when we think about, it's called exceptional caregiving, we've got parents who are dealing with raising a child with a special need, and mm-hmm. then they've got adult caregiving responsibilities for their aging parents as well. So if you want to talk about stress, this is it. This is it. What is it that that employers, a manager, a caring and compassionate, well, still performance-focused manager, what does she need to know? She needs to know, first of all, that we have to take the job description and evaluate what are the performance goals. Hmm. Once we understand what the performance goals are, if we can integrate flexibility into it, and the, it, it's all based on performance. If the employee is still performing and providing whatever it is that they need to provide in their job, and they need to do it two days a week from home, because their child has those needs and we're able to provide that level of flexibility, that's going to help retain that employee. Absolutely. So many employees are leaving. I mean, I deal with parents all the time who are leaving their jobs. Because they don't have the necessary flexibility. So the key, as as we know from so much of our work and uh, in the field of work and life uh, integration is you got to focus on results and provide flexibility in the means for how those results were achieved. Absolutely. And we also have to provide the and that's a real enabler for parents who have special needs. You and bet it's it really is. necessary, you're you saying, because people are quitting without it. And in fact, there's a statistic about autism alone. 48% of working parents are leaving the workforce. 48% of parents, of parents of, children of with autism spectrum disorders are leaving the workforce. Well, think about it. In fact, interestingly enough, it was a few months ago on TV. I happened to have Jeopardy on, I believe. And one of the contestants, you know how they introduce themselves. Well, this is who I am. He was very upfront. He said, I'm a working dad. I left my job a few months ago because I have a child with autism, and now I'm a stay-at-home dad. Hmm. That took guts, but it also raised the level of awareness that it's not just moms who are leaving their jobs. It's dads leaving their jobs mm-hmm. as well. It's not always, you know, when we talk about work-life integration, I know you've written about it. There's a lot written about it. The whole flexible work option arena is not a mommy issue. It's an employee issue. So but you're finding that dads, too, are uh, taking responsibility for home you know the domestic work of of caring for children with special needs and leaving their leaving their jobs in order to do that. Absolutely. And you're seeing Absolutely. that more. Absolutely. And it's increasing because if we think about this population and we think about the numbers of children who have these diagnoses, one of the most recent statistics show that 6.5 million kids are in special education. That's a lot of kids. That's a lot of children. And behind those children, who stands? Mom, dad, mom and dad, grandma. two partners, grandma, you bet. Absolutely. Maybe neighbors, 
friends if you're lucky. If they have some training, and that's that's yeah. another issue. The extended family member who is a caregiver for a child, particularly a child with an autism spectrum disorder, many of them are struggling tremendously because they don't understand the diagnosis and they don't understand how to care for the child. So that's the reality. We're talking about how employers can help their employees who have kids with special needs to be productive. And and the key is flexibility. It's focusing on results and giving people flexibility. But it's more than that. It's really understanding how these illnesses can affect uh, a family, can affect a parent, what that might look like. Um, But then there's the, the other piece, which we started talking about earlier, and that's the stigma. So... Um, you know, I'm sorry for you that you have a child with special needs, but I'm not going to cover for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, might be a, a feeling or a thought that, uh, you know, a coworker might have who's under great strain. So do you deal with that issue of not only, uh, you know, oh, there's something wrong with you and you ought to be ashamed, the, mm-hmm. you know, the stigma, uh, but there's also the, um, you know, why should you get special treatment just because you have a child who has special needs? Do you run into that? Absolutely. And what's really interesting is over the last, let's say, five years, the general population has become much more aware of diagnoses such as ADD and ADHD, autism spectrum disorders, bipolar disorder. So there's a level of awareness, but that level of awareness, if we're looking at the scale, it doesn't balance with the level of support that coworkers will provide. So part of that education needs to be educating the employee population. And many times that's done through EAPs, employee assistance programs. Mm -hmm. They'll provide different types of training or different types of access and materials. But with many things in life, unless it touches you personally, it probably doesn't matter that much. But for an employer or a manager, if it's your employee, that's touching you personally. That's touching your, you know, key asset there and your ability to, to fully utilize that asset or that not to mention the sense of compassion and caring that you might demonstrate, which would engender loyalty, commitment, and I dare say love and, if, if you're able to provide it. And that's retention. You're, you're going to be retaining those employees. And we know what the turnover costs are mm-hmm. when an employee leaves. You know, when an employee goes to a manager, and this has happened many times, and says, I, I, I'm, I'm quitting. Why are you quitting? Because I have a child with autism, because I have a child with a mental health issue, and I can't plan. Someone had said to me, when is it about uh, their child? When is this going to be over? Mm. Well, it's not going to be over. It doesn't end. This isn't like a broken arm where we put it in a cast, and after six weeks we take off the cast, maybe a little physical therapy, and the arm is fine. Children change. They become young adults. And... There's biological changes, there's physiological changes, there's emotional changes. It's not static. So we're always dealing with changes. Mm -hmm. So we're talking about a diagnosis or comorbid diagnoses where it's more than one. We've got a child who's changing all the time. And then we've got the educational milieu, which is very complex. It's no wonder so many parents are leaving the workforce. And then beyond the educational milieu, when they're finished with, you know, primary and secondary schooling and grow into young adults... It doesn't often stop there. It absolutely doesn't. And many parents don't understand what they need to do if their child is going to college to prepare them for college, to prepare them for dealing with the offices of disability services, to prepare them in terms of getting reevaluated. 
there's there's so many components to that that many parents aren't aware of. We I was doing a training at a pharmaceutical firm, and a dad came up to me and said, "My my my child is in twelfth grade and planning to go to college, and um, we've done nothing. It's too late." Mm-hmm. Well, as I said to you earlier, it's never too late. Mm-hmm. We might have to work faster, we might have to work harder, but it's never too late. That's the important message. It's never too late. Well, people often feel, I'm sure, uh, overwhelmed, you know, and and really don't know where to get started in terms of finding access to resources like like those that you provide. Are there others out there who are doing what you're doing? Is there uh, is there like a um, an association of people who provide this kind of service to to the private sector throughout our country, or are you out there on your own? <laughs> No, we're not out there on our own. There are organizations like the National um, Autism Association, the, the Autism Association of America, CHAD, which is Children and Adults with ADD. I meant uh, the organizations like, or you know, consultants like you who provide these kinds of services to the private sector, to employers. I'm sure there are through employee assistance programs. EAPs mm-hmm. provide mm-hmm. a certain level of these services, but they're not specialists in this area where we are. You know, they can go t- just so far. They're not going to review an IEP, for example, which we do. We we actually do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are nonprofit organizations like these associations. Um, there are certain organizations and communities that provide pro bono advocates to go with parents to IEP meetings to help them. So there's a lot of a lot of supports out there. It's trying to determine which is the best support for you. For us, it's drilling it into the corporation, into the company to make it a benefit for employees, to help mm. employees stay on the job and be able to handle their child's needs and to deal with the business issues, as we mentioned earlier, productivity, engagement, retention. So are you, um, are you contracted with, uh, do, do you sort of pitch your services to the HR group or how are you typically brought into an organization? HR, work life, sometimes the C-suite. Um, many, there's a couple organizations we're working with now where there's someone at the C-suite level who has these issues. It's always personal, isn't it, Deborah? You bet. You bet. Absolutely. I mean, as you were saying earlier, when people are touched by it in their own lives, they become aware of what it all means and uh, it just changes everything in terms of their perspective and their realization as to you know the, the importance of these questions and, and the challenges of, of facing these kinds of uh, illnesses. And I would... I w- some of them are, are considered illnesses, for example, mental illnesses. Mm-hmm. Some of them are developmental delays, so mm-hmm. they're not really mm-hmm. considered illnesses. Mm-hmm. But I, as a visual imagery, if you put your arms out left and right, I guarantee that along that continuum, you know someone in your family, a friend, a neighbor. There are very few people who don't know someone today touched by one of these issues. So if, if uh, an organization wants to become more knowledgeable and helpful to their workforce, whether they're a big company or a small company, where do you suggest they begin? In terms of helping their employees? Yeah, uh, and helping to raise awareness, reduce stigma, and make it easier for people to talk about the challenges that they face in, in raising children who have special needs. They can begin by doing trainings on site. They can begin by bringing in specialists to talk about the issues. They can begin by developing an employee resource group if they don't have one already. How would that work? How do they develop an employee resource group? They can communicate out through their intranet to their employee population. We're going to be starting an employee resource group. It's going to start, we're going to start once a month. We're going to do it on the second Wednesday of the month, and it's going to be from 12 to 1 o'clock in the lunchroom. And we're going to have a facilitator come. It could be a speech therapist one day. It could be a psychologist the next week or the next month. 
they can bring in specialists to begin to talk about those issues. And as I mentioned to you earlier at the training that was done, when employees start looking at each other and realize you, I didn't know. Me too. But getting them in the room is hard, right? It can be. So how do you overcome that hump? Overcoming the hump is putting out the offer that this is available, communicating it out to the workforce, showing that there's C-suite level support. It's got to come from the top. We support these issues. We understand these issues. We want to help you as employees, and we're going to be doing these things to provide those supports to you. Employers can do something as simple as having a spare office with a telephone and be able to allow employees to go in and privately talk to their school psychologist or their private clinician. There's very easy, low-cost ways to say to employees, this is, this is, this is okay. They can begin to develop a small internal library mm-hmm. so that employees can go in and have their lunch and read. So there, it's not really cost. We're not really talking about costs here. Smart. We're talking about smart business. And that's a, that's a fine note for us to close on. Deborah, uh, tell us, how can our listeners find out more about the services that you provide uh, to be able to help employers help their employees to manage the, the strains and stresses of, uh, of raising children with special needs and to m- bring out their full productivity and, and contribution? They can contact me directly at educationnavigation.com. They can call, leave a message. Um, they can do anything. They can email we're available. Deborah, thank you so much for joining us today and talking about this important topic and, and the great work that you're doing. Thank much you, appreciate Sue. your being thank here. Thank you very much. Thank you. I hope you found my conversation with Deborah Schaefer to be informative, especially if you or someone you know has a child with special needs. So here is a challenge for you. An invitation. How, I wonder, has listening to this conversation changed your thinking about how you might talk to colleagues, work colleagues, about sensitive issues in your personal life that affect your work? Or about how you might be able to cultivate a safe environment at work so people can feel free to share relevant information about the challenges they face in life that are stigmatized. I would love to hear your reactions, your ideas, so get in touch with me. It's friedman at wharton.upenn.edu or find me on LinkedIn. Thanks for listening to this episode of Work and Life. This conversation was originally recorded on my weekly radio show on Sirius XM 132, Wharton Business Radio. Tune in for live broadcasts of Work and Life on Tuesdays at 6 p.m. Eastern. For more about this episode's guest and about previous guests, visit workandlifepodcast.com. And for more ideas and tools for creating harmony among the different parts of life, check out our website, totalleadership.org, and my book, total leadership. Be a better leader. Have a richer life. If you like this podcast, please subscribe, rate it on iTunes, and share it with your friends, family, and coworkers. Until next time, I'm your host, Stu Friedman, and I thank you for joining me. 
For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu. Thank you.